Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today is an international best-selling author and podcast host with over 15 years of experience working in the advertising industry. During the last few years, she became increasingly passionate about the concept of empathy and the role it plays in both our professional and personal lives. As a result of her work and her research, she decided to publish her first book this year titled Softening the Edge, where she presents her case about how empathetic influence is set to be the decade's most critical human skill set. During this episode, we discuss her journey to becoming an advocate for empathy. She shares with us her knowledge and research regarding the psychology behind it. And we talk about the importance of using empathy as a tool to build deeper connections and truly understand others. She has become one of the leading voices and advocates for empathy, and her vision is to inspire change in a low-empathy world through content, conversation, and discussion. Her decision to live and act with empathy has been a key factor in her success. And the last message she wanted to share with us is to remember that we are more alike than we are different. As people, we are better together, and we should connect far more if we want to see a better tomorrow. Please welcome to the show the empathy guru herself, the incredible Miss Mimi Nicklin. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. So for the people who don't know, Mimi, me and you connected uh, through LinkedIn. Actually, I heard about you through Sania, who I had on the pod, who's the host of the Coffee Banter podcast. And I heard your episode on that and I thought it was really, really interesting. So I thought and I love the work you do surrounding empathy and so on. That's an area that I'm quite passionate about as well. So I thought it'd be amazing to have you on the show. But for the people who don't know Mimi, just give us a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. Sure. So my name is Mimi Nicklin. I'm um, an author of a book called Softening the Edge, which is a recent international bestseller all about the empathy deficit. What is empathy? Why we need empathy in our businesses and our world and and how we can take that forward, how we can perhaps change things a little bit um, with more empathy. So I've written that book. I have a podcast and a breakfast show. And now I spend my life full time um, as an empathy advocate, working mainly in culture and creativity and how empathy sort of can impact organizational change and people in organizations, but also communities. So, you know, that could be a sports team or, or any other form of organization um, and really talking about how that can change our world. Yeah, enough. That sounds really interesting uh, that and I think a lot of people nowadays, empathy has become quite a hot topic, especially given and especially in recent times. And probably, if anything, you made a good point on Sania's podcast that last year, it was probably around, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't at the forefront. But now, given COVID and this year, it really has come to the forefront and everything. So I think being an empathy advocate, you couldn't be, couldn't be a better time to be doing that. But I'm curious, when was empathy always something you were passionate about? Or like, when did we, when did you become so interested in it, so passionate about it? How did that start? Yeah, for sure. It was, it, it was and it wasn't. Um, for most of my career... I have talked about intuition and and I always knew I was a very intuitive leader. I was, I couldn't name it, but I knew that I was good with people and that people enjoyed my leadership style. And I would always put that down to intuition. And that wasn't very helpful, right? When, you know, when young people say, you know, can you help me understand how do you do that? Or, or what are some of your learnings? Um, I was never very good at verbalizing it because I was always like, well, I just sort of know how to be with people. And then in 2018, I had moved to Dubai and I was with a business coach over lunch, again, talking about intuition. And she said, Mimi, can I stop you there? Is it intuition or is it empathy? And I was like, no, 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 it's not empathy. You know, I'd never thought about empathy in the business world. It wasn't a term that I had spent much time with. 
So when I left that lunch, I did what all good millennials do and Googled it and started to read about it. And, um, you know, very quickly, I was into years of research and studying the neuroscience of empathy and understanding the empathy deficit and what that is. Um, and before I knew it, it became my life. And now, as I said, this is what I do every day. I'm creating content around empathy with the, the vision to inspire change in a, in a low empathy world through content, conversation and, and discussion. Yeah. And something uh, you said that was interesting, that there's a, a difference between empathy and intuition. So assuming so, how would you describe the differences between the two? So intuition is, um, do you know what? No one's ever asked me that actually. Funny, it's, that's a good question. But intuition is a, um, is a feeling, right? It's, it's an, an inexplicable, non-scientific, almost like a sixth sense, right? It's something that we can feel as human beings. It's something that for sure we've evolved to use it. There's some kind of, yeah, like a sixth sense that we know if there's danger pending, mums have it with their children, all those types of things. But it's a, it is, it's a feeling. Whereas empathy is a skill set. Empathy is something that is built into our prefrontal cortex. We're born with it. Um, again, it has, it has developed throughout evolution as something that's within our prefrontal cortex. It is there very, with a very specific reason to help human beings thrive, to help us work together. Because what we know from an evolutionary point of view is we are better together. As humans, we are stronger when we work together. And that is what that empathy ability is there for. So it's a skill set. And the great news is it's a skill set we can nurture, we can practice, we can get better at. Um, whereas I said, intuition is, is far more of a feeling that some mm. people have more or less of. Yeah, actually, that's a very good. I think that's a very good way to distinguish between the two. Would you say that if you have a strong intuition, naturally, like someone like yourself, that you always had that feeling and that's why you were good with people? Can that does that kind of play into how quickly you could start being good at delivering empathy if you're very in tune with yourself i think you'd be able to be quite in tune with how other people would be feeling as well i i would make that assumption yes i mean the data would show that as i said all of us have equal levels of empathy and i often talk about using empathy as a choice because you choose to do it you know you choose to activate that skill set um so from a data point of view we all have exactly the same ability to empathize but i think you know intuitively i would agree with your assumption which is that people that are just naturally more in tune with themselves and their environment and just kind of tuned into energy and what's going on and who's feeling happy sad and otherwise today yes i think that's a really fair assumption that those people probably are also more able to make that choice to empathize to use that skill set uh, more readily yeah no that makes i think that makes a lot of sense and it would be yeah like that'd be a fair assumption to to make and i know that so during your career you've traveled all over the world you know to different places and so on with your advertising career and i was starting to think does because i think culture also play let's say like you said empathy is a skill set and a choice but it's and everyone can learn it but i think in different cultures the bait that let's say the empathetic baseline can be different because because of the culture and because of how that's in, how you know how people express themselves in that culture so what in your experience what have you found that is in for example in the west is it more what's the word more welcoming or was it more are people more aware of that topic or is it very very dependent i think uh, it's such a great question and i would love next year or the year after to do the world's first sort of empathy indexing geographically 
because it is a question I get asked quite a lot and I think it would be fascinating to actually measure that and it's never been done you know on a geographical basis what I can tell you from my own experience is that the difference between collectivist versus more individualistic societies you certainly see experience more empathy more naturally in those collectivist societies so Asia and Africa predominantly the Middle East as well there's also quite scores quite high on collectivism um, those environments where people are far used to more used to living in groups living in close proximity many of them have come from a tribal background of some sort um, and they're still living in many of those societies in large parts of many of those countries and areas in those collectivist societies, empathy, understanding others, being connected to what other people want, uh, more cohesion in neighborhoods with societies, those things definitely, in my experience, come more naturally. When you look at the Western markets, which do tend to score more high on individualism, you know, cities like New York and London and Tokyo, um, for sure we see lower levels of empathy because we also see higher levels of people living alone. So in some of those big cities, you're looking at 38 to 40 plus percent of the city um with individual dwellers so people living on their own all the time yeah um so yeah so for sure in those more individualistic societies i think it's again a really good assumption but it would be my experience as well that empathy is lower in those environments yeah no and i think that make you think the point you mentioned about collectivism versus individualism makes a lot of sense when you're talking about empathy and i think that's a really interesting idea to do the index i'm so curious to see what the what you know, what would come out of that? Because like you said, I don't think, I don't think you can, you've probably done much more research into this than I have, but I don't think there is anything like that at the moment. No, certainly not on a, on a geographical level. And I think beyond that, there are two great enemies to empathy. I always say one is time and the other is stress. So when you have low time and high stress, you see low empathy because when we're stressed physiologically, the way the hormones in the body work, you cannot empathize the, the body. It's the fight and flight response. The body will push blood out of those parts of the brain. You actually cannot empathize when you're in a state of stress. Uh, so when time is short and stress is high, we see low empathy. And of course, that also correlates to city life. In those cities where you've got this always on overnight on a train off a train obviously outside of COVID, but that real sort of rat race life um those suppress empathy so it would be geographical but also you know societal and how different parts of the world live and how that impacts their empathy levels so i'm with you let's do it let's do it yeah i'd love to i'd love to be a part of that that sounds really interesting and i've never heard anyone meant speak about the two enemies of empathy i didn't even know there were that but i think the way you described it is perfect about time and stress because when i'm really stressed out my like you said you're not physically able like biologically or chemically able to have that extra step of compassion have that extra second to listen to someone it's just i'm too involved in my own world and i can't you know deal with whatever you're going through at the moment so i I've never heard of that before, but something you also said in the other, in Sunia's podcast, which I thought was interesting is we were never taught empathy, empathy, like growing up, it should, and the way I was thinking about it, um, if it's a skill set and it's a choice and you can take like, like it could be a curriculum, for example, why do you think that was never taught? Even in the societies like the, like the collective societies that we, we've been talking about, it probably wasn't even taught there. Why do you think there's been a disconnect between that being a crucial like part of life and a, a skill set that we need to learn? I think that probably we didn't realize what was happening, right? So we have three decades of declining empathy. We've got data that shows that empathy has been on the decline for 30 years. 
And so much of that will be wrapped up with, you know, the sort of second or third industrial revolution, the speed of life, the obsession with money, the crash of 2008, um, the geographical spread of people, urbanization, the role of technology. We've been really busy, right? The human race um, evolving and running all the time. Um, and I think we didn't notice, you know, I think we for a very long time, and I think 2020 has proven this, we were seeing the symptoms, right, of, of this detached and disconnected society and the things going on around the world from a health point of view, an emotional wellness point of view, a disconnectivity point of view, cyberbullying, anxiety, you know, all of these things, they're kind of bubbling, but only now are people starting to say, oh, hang on, there's probably a bigger picture here. You know, yeah. we probably shouldn't just all take antidepressants and carry on as we were, which is one of my big sort of um, pain points that I'm really passionate about is why is it Khaled, that it's OK for, you know, my friend, my sister, my cousin, whatever, to be taking antidepressants in order to go to work? Like, when did it become normal to medicate ourselves in order to spend five sevenths of our life, which is what we spend in the office or, or in a role? Um, you know, those things, I think they just crept up on us. So it's silly, actually, that we should have to teach it because evolution gave it to us. It was a gift. It's in our brains. We should be able to use it. But again, back to those enemies of, of empathy and the speed of change. And as I said, we've been very busy, the human race. I think it crept up on us. And I think now we're realizing that there is a bigger picture and that we need to we need to recalibrate. And, and of all the negative things that COVID has created, I think one of the positives is this. This conversation yeah. has a renewed sense of energy and people are really interested in this conversation. Yeah, that's really interesting that you said, because I wasn't aware that for the last 30 years, it's been empathy has actually been declining because I would say in the last few years, because I'm trying to think, I'm trying to relate it to like the mental health and meditation and well-being space. So let's 10 years ago, let's say, no one in the world probably was talking about meditation, about wellness, both in per their personal lives and in corporate. At now, there's a huge push for that for mental health and well-being and so on. So do you think empathy is now coming in and that's going to be the next, I guess, big, the big push for the next few years or like for the future? I... I think so. Um, you know, I, I keep talking in, in sort of my keynotes and stuff recently about, you know, is empathy the word of 2021? And I think possibly it is. Um, now, it's easy because I spend my life in empathy. So my, my vision is quite, you know, quite tunnel vision. But yes, I mean, there is now Google. I saw great data uh, this week. I shared it on my Instagram. Um, great data from Google search analytics that shows that the search for empathy and empathy related content has gone up sixfold since 2010. I think it was 2008, 2010. So, you know, the, the, the behavior online is changing. People are looking for empathy. They're searching for empathy content. Uh, the media has changed for sure. Uh, as you said, I mentioned it on Sunia's podcast this time last year, you would be hard pushed to find the word empathy in any magazine or podcast or whatever. Um, and now probably you'll find my name with it if you find it because I've been busy, but it is out there. You know, I get media requests. I've been on, you know, NBC and HBR and, and you know, really entrepreneur and Vogue and all these crazy publications I could never have imagined were going to ask me to write for them because it's, there is a, there is a change. So is it going to be the word for 2021? I, I think for sure it's going to be up there in the top few. Yeah, no, I, and I think I would I would agree with you. I actually recently um, had someone on the podcast. His name is Ali Salama, and he's a, a mental health you know advocate. And he he has a pod, yeah, he has a podcast called Empathy Wins. So I was like, okay, 
I asked him on the podcast and I'm curious to hear what you would say. Is there a limit to empathy? Do you understand what I mean? Is there a limit to how much compassion and understanding can I give you before I have to make a certain decision and so on? Do you know, what do you think? And I know the question. I think um, firstly, empathy and compassion are different things. So I okay. think there is definitely a limit to compassion, right? Compassion is sympathy, basically slightly different, but more or less, you know, compassion, sympathy, pity, that's one sort of um, set of emotions. Um, and there is a limit to that. You cannot sympathize because let's be honest, normally when you're feeling compassion, sympathy, or pity, you're sad or, or some level of sad, that is a, a sad emotion. And there is definitely a limit to that. You cannot feel pity forever for them or for you. You know, that's, yeah. that's sustainable. Empathy, no, I don't think there is a limit. I think we have to have um, boundaries, right? You can't go around and empathize. I try, by the way, but you can't. You can't go around and empathize with every single person all day, every day. You have to have some levels of boundaries and, of course, do your own things in the world, right? You have to make your own um, momentum and progress. And I think people often ask me about, and I think this is sort of linked to your question, you know, is empathy related to burnout? You know, if I empathize too much while I burn out, well, again lots of data going on to sort of um work out the answer to that but the data i enjoy most is from the healthcare sector and it shows that actually when burnout goes up empathy goes down not the other way around so empathizing more understanding human beings doesn't make us burn out but when we are burnt out we find it harder to understand others Mm. so no i don't think there's a, a limit to empathy uh, fundamentally empathy is about understanding right it's about taking perspectives sure we can't have a limit in how many perspectives we can take you know that's just about being human yeah and actually i think you mentioned a very good point that i guess in uh, my perception of it was wrong that i associated com empathy with compassion i thought the ability to be empathetic is also the ability to be compassionate but you made a good point that that is um, not a negative emotion, but it's a sad emotion. And empathy is a completely, uh, it's, it sounds similar, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's mutual. And one thing you said that was really interesting is the concept of we have to have boundaries, right? So let's say I'm a person, I want to be empathetic. How do I start setting those boundaries? Because I think that's something that's a lot of people, a lot of people might struggle with. Hmm. Look, I think that the key thing to know is that because empathy is about understanding there's two things that's really important about empathy number one you don't have to agree okay to empathize is not to agree i can understand somebody and relate to them and understand their context and perspective stand in their shoes without agreeing with what they stand for or what they're saying number two empathy is judgmentless there's no judgment in empathy. We are seeking to understand, not to judge or agree. So I think when you're creating your boundaries, knowing those two things is really helpful because it allows you to create your box. I want to understand this person. I want to lean in. Maybe it's your boss. Why is my boss behaving like that? Why are they so X today? Why are they responding to me like that? Why are they emailing me like this? You know, really seeking to understand. And actually, if you read any of Steve Covey's work and um, The Seven Skills of Highly Effective People, 20 years old, but still utterly excellent book. And he talks about it first. I think it's number five, you know, seek first to understand. Um, you don't really need any boundaries beyond that, other than to know my job in this scenario is to lean into them, is to understand their context. Um, once you've got that straight in your head, I think you're, you know, you're okay. The, the other thing, as I said, is to understand the difference between 
empathy and sympathy. And one of the things that might help the listeners as well, and I, I love this example is, so people ask me all the time, but empathy brings you closer to people, right? Empathy is about me understanding you, why you're doing this podcast, what your relevance is. Sympathy is, as I said, it's feeling pity. Now in the great picture of that, what that means is that empathy pulls you together because you're understanding, you're becoming more unified. Sympathy creates distance. And Brene Brown, uh, who if your listeners know, go listen to her. If you don't, look her up. She's brilliant. But she has this little skit, it's like a cartoon on YouTube and about empathy and sympathy. And she says, it's quite funny, she says, um, if you're walking along a road and there's a big hole in the road and there's someone at the bottom and they're shouting for help, um, empathy is jumping into the hole with them and helping them get out. Sympathy is standing at the top and saying, oh, I'm really sorry you fell in the hole. You're keeping your distance, right? Um, so I think that that kind of links back to how you have boundaries. Just understand what empathy is. And then, and then you're able to lean into it, to raise your awareness and work out how you can do that best in the scenario that you're in. Yeah, I think, first of all, I love that example. That example, even for me personally, now I understand. You know, now it's, it's really clear and I get the difference between the two. And what you said about that empathy brings you closer together and sympathy not doesn't take you apart but um, keeps you at a safe distance and that's yeah no and that makes a lot of sense and i was thinking so everyone we everyone speaks about empathy a lot nowadays and you've done the research and so on i was thinking okay let's say because you said empathy is a skill set and it's a choice so the way i looked at it i'm like okay if it's a skill then i should be able to apply the same rules as any other skills so with Let's say if I'm learning the piano first, I need to understand the keys and so on and whatever. But I don't think anyone's talked about what would like an empathy, if I could take do a course and get an empathy certificate at the end, what would that look like? What are the factors that would need to be in there to map out like a course for empathy? Yeah, absolutely. It's something I, I love to talk about. I think most of them, so that we can talk about some of the skills, but most of them come back to listening in some form. Listening is probably the backbone of empathy and, and ironically you know similar to empathy as a concept we don't teach people to listen we don't teach our children to listen it's not in schools and it's certainly not in the workplace and yet we're supposed to do it all the time because in order to thrive we need to understand each other right so um the first skill set that you would have to hone and perfect is the art of listening not hearing but listening and i think you'll be able to relate to this because we all can you know how often you sat in a meeting or you know around the dinner table someone's talking to you and telling you a whole story but actually in your head you're wondering like do you need to take the dog out where are you going to go shopping next did you buy your mum a birthday card so you're not actually listening you can hear them and you can probably follow but you're not really listening now the reality is subconsciously that person knows because us humans we're very actually we're very in tune so even when our conscious separates us out our subconscious is working we know we're not really being heard and that changes the behavior um, all the time now i can promise you because i test it over and over again when you apply all the sort of um, skills of empathy, so you do listen, you listen with your whole body, right? So your, your body language is facing in. You'll see a lot now on this video, I'm leaning into you all the time, even though we're on a Zoom screen, right? There's a lot of eye contact. I smile a lot. I nod when you're talking. My shoulders are facing you. All of these things are subconscious markers in your brain. Your brain is recognizing them. We, we are tuned to recognize those things. And you cannot underestimate them. And yet we forget all the time. You know, we constantly on our phones, you know, multitasking, saying, yeah, 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 I'm hearing you. Yeah, I know you are, 
but that's not the point. <laughs> so, you know, technology, which can also enable empathy, by the way, but technology, distractions, again, this busy, busy life takes us away from these skills that are actually um, very natural to us. So those are some of the, you know, if you did a course, as you said, to get a certificate in empathy, those would be some of the things that you really practice there's an, another thing which is really fantastic and just really fun to talk about which is mirroring um which is built from our mirror neurons in our in our brains and the most basic example is yawning i talk about it in my book um but you know when you yawn someone else's yawns and in fact actually just by hearing the word yawn you often yawn you may yawn in a minute but you're someone listening for sure is already yawning okay um so the you know it's it's the mirror neurons that do that it's a survival mechanic so the other thing that would be in your empathy course if you did it would be around how to mirror behavior now that doesn't mean explicitly copy people because that would be a bit awkward right but responding to how other people are so if their turn is very fast and they're talking very fast and they're obviously really busy and, blah, 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 and you talk really slowly and you, it won't work. They'll be irritated with you. Okay. Because they feel you don't understand me. I'm in a rush. I'm, I'm, you need to reflect my energy. So, you know, mirroring tone, mirroring body language, mirroring energy in that way. Again, lots of it subconscious, but it has an amazing impact on how people feel seen and heard, which is a fundamental human need. So those would be some of the things in your empathy course. Maybe we should do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should, we should. And I love the, uh, I'm very familiar with mirroring because I took a course all about uh, negotiation. And that was one of the key things that they said uh, to use. He's like, when you go into negotiation and you use it in everyday life and at the beginning, it feel, can feel uncomfortable because you're like, oh, do they know I'm mirroring them? But after a while, I think you get used to it and it really helps you can build a good rapport and, and connection with the person. But I think the bedrock of any empathy course, like you said, is the listening. And the example you use that people are, we are very in tune. Like I know if I'm speaking to you and you're not actually listening to me or like you're just hearing me, like you said. And one thing I, I read about that is this is how you know if you're listening or hearing. If you're if someone's speaking to you and you're just thinking about the next thing to say, you're not listening to them. You're just hearing them. And that has been a big that was a really big like wake up call for me personally, because I always thought, oh, yeah, I am listening. But you, it's, when you start paying attention to it, your brain's like, oh, no, what should we say next? What should we say next? You're not really like focused on what the person's saying. And one thing you talked about in um, the podcast, which was really interesting, is. We never looked at empathy from a gender perspective, even but when going back in history, culturally and naturally, women tend to be, if we're going to generalize, women tend to be more empathetic. It's not that men can't be, it's just that given culture and given the world and how everything's developed, women had to, you know, they're the ones that were talking, they're the ones that didn't go off to war, they're the ones that, you know, had to keep the family together. So I was trying to think, if that's the case, let's assume, let's assume there is some type of imbalance. How do we start to level that out? Because... And again, as from, from a men perspective, especially in certain cultures, it's not right to, you know, I guess show emotion. It's not right to, you know, be empathetic. It's very individualistic almost in a way. What would you say? Look, I think um, particularly from a cultural point of view. So in cultures where, where there is um, still a very sort of traditional patriarchal male role in society, the way to fix that is by focusing on the data. And probably my favorite slide or sentence is that empathy is a data set. And a lot of what I'm doing, and, and I talk to lots of men, lots of senior men and lots of men in, in the Arab world and places where some of those patriarchal societies are in place. 
This is what I talk to them about. This is, and you just mentioned it, negotiation skills, right? These are skills that help you sell more. They're skills that help you work with your clients better, that convert customers. They drive loyalty. They win you business. They make you money. Empathy is not about being emotional, okay? Yes, it is an emotional intelligence skill, right? It's coming from that part of your brain, the, the cortex there. But it's not about being emotional in that sort of um, stereotypical, I don't know, crying, emotional, sad way. Like it's nothing to do with that. It's not even in the same world, right? This is your data set. This is your ability to understand people. And again, back to Steve Covey, when you can understand you can build a relationship. And when you can build a relationship, everybody knows, right? The Arab world is built on relationships. When you have good relationships, you sell, you grow, you do better business. So I think really, if we're going to talk about, you know, gender parity, gender balance from a empathetic point of view, that's the discussion we need to be having, that this is a skill that can turn your business around, but it's also a skill that's going to create strong, loyal, cohesive teams, which again is what you need, whether that's your business, your religious institution your sports institution your community center your society wherever you work and live your family in the home you need strong cohesive teams yeah no and i think that's a very good point you do need strong cohesive teams, and empathy is i guess the right way or the best way to start building to start building those out but also when i was thinking about it from an organizational perspective i think one of the issues that us as human beings, we have two things. One, we not we don't like change. And if we do change, we want to see the result instantly. And I think, with especially in a work environment with an organization, I think empathy, first of all, has to start from the top, come down, because the person at the top is the one that sets the culture for the rest. And maybe some of the hesitation or some of the drawback could be like, I can imagine someone, a manager be like, oh, I tried empathy yesterday. I didn't get the instant result I wanted. So no, this doesn't work. Do you understand what I mean? So how do we shift that perspective to understand that it's not just about, it's not just an action, it's about a whole cultural shift and it's going to take some time to get to the place that we're trying to get to. Yeah, it, it, and that's it. That is the conversation. It is going to take some time. Um, again, I think it's about, you know, what, what I'm doing, having more of that in the world. So more awareness and more data around it, more of the evidence, more explanation of the benefits, because as we've discovered, you know, it's something we're all built with. So it's a choice to use it or not um, and creating more habit around it. Now we are going to see slower uptake from people that have had longer careers behind them when they haven't really been doing this. So if you've already got 35 years behind you and you've never cared for this type of engagement, you know, it's been an autocracy and what you say goes and you sit in your office on the 27th floor and get on with it. Uh, unlikely right unlikely that those people are, are going to change and, and you're right culture does start at the top however there is change we can make within our organizations if we're not at the top whilst that change is perhaps happening in the c-suite or from a, a larger sort of wider set and um, empathy is contagious so even if someone's listening today and they're in a team of you know whether it's five people or 15 or 50 you can create empathy in your own teams you know if you're within an organization that isn't imbuing that that doesn't mean you can can't do anything you know there are changes to your own team culture your own team meetings your processes the way you structure your status meetings or your weekly meetings um, to imbue this and and to to spread it a little bit so yeah i, I always say to people i'm not going to try and convince those that don't want to be convinced do you mean that there's there's as far as i'm concerned there's no reason not to try to understand each other better there's only upside but if you're not interested then you're not interested. Yeah, no, and I, that is a sentiment that I totally, totally resonate with is, you know, 
I think you can't you can't convince someone doesn't want to be convinced and I'm not going to spend my time, you know, trying to try and do that. And also think that you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. Like you can do the best you can, but if that person or that is not convinced or they don't want to receive what you're trying to say, it's nothing's going to happen. So better for, it's better for both of you to just go, I guess, <laughs> go your separate ways in that case. And um, one thing you said though, and I think this is a misconception that a lot of people have because em- at least in my perception, empathy sounds... It's a very positive thing. It seems, it sounds like it's easy, but you said that being an empathetic leader is not. And I un, and I know, given my own experience, and to actually be an empathetic person, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of work, and you have to really like, I don't know what the word is, like really try to be curious and to understand where that person is coming from. So, but I think a lot of people have a misconception that oh yeah, empathy is empathy is something something easy to do, which is not. Look, I, I think it's a, it's quite a multifaceted answer. I think it's quite easy. It is quite easy to understand people if you take the time and effort. Do you, I mean, if you even if you try it tonight with your family member to try and really understand what they're saying when they're talking about their day, you'll find that on a one-off occasion, it's quite an easy thing to do. But I think you're absolutely right that to sustain that takes practice. But more importantly, I think what's really difficult and what makes empathetic leadership harder, what I often talk about regenerative leadership, is to be able to respond to the data and the decision making that comes off the back of being an empathetic leader. So, you know, I I talk in my book um, a little bit about when I was turning around the business and I had to make redundancies. I had to change staff for the good of the business. We needed to. I had global requirements, local requirements, skill sets that we didn't have. But I had a team of amazing human beings, you know, lovely, wonderful people. Nobody wants, you know, nobody who's ever been made redundant or has had to make people redundant knows there is no good way of doing that, right? It just sucks, okay? But you can do that with empathy. And, you know, I always commit to trying to make sure I do. Um, But it, it is a little bit harder, right? Of course, I mean, I can't consider life any other way, but I do understand, I do empathize with some leaders that they might just want to bring people into a room and say, hi, Mimi, I'm really sorry, your role's never redundant, please speak to HR and I'll see you next week. I, emp- I understand that some people want to do that. Um, so, you know, making that change to spending more time to understanding people's realities, as we said before, it takes time, it takes energy, but the benefits in every single way make that effort worthwhile to the individual to how the individual talks about your organization to what they say to the team that hasn't been made redundant that's waiting outside the door to how you rebuild to how the value they give you back in the interim and post all kinds of benefits so you know there's a you're right it can be um it can take more time and more effort but then in in life i think most things that are worthwhile probably take time and effort (laughs) <laughs> I totally totally agree with that uh with that last part especially and like you said it, it is difficult to sustain and this year in particular because I had someone recently on the podcast and I was like this was like this year was probably the the best like you said it's not no one because we're talking about how in COVID lots of people, companies had to let people go so and like you said there is no there's nothing nice about that and it does suck but like you correctly said and I think that this is a crucial step is how did you do like how did you carry out that process did you like she gave me an example of airbnb who even though they had to let people go they either like give them counseling or they help them 
you know, find another job, but give them a good recommendation or something showing them that you actually care. And I think that's how and that's what the whole difference is. If you have to do something, especially something like that, how you do it is what's important, not necessarily the action itself, because the person will still look back and be like, OK, yes, that happened. It was not the choice. But, you know, they did they did something good for me and they did try to help me in that way. And I wanted to come on to your book, A Softening the Edge, uh, because I think there's so many key points in it that are really interesting. But what and since you said in 2018 is when this all really became like a passion for you. What was your motivation for writing for writing the book? You know, I always say the book wrote me rather than the other way around, because I really okay. feel like that. Um, I, I can barely remember writing it. You know, I mean, of course I can remember, right? I can remember sitting at my desk and sitting in coffee shops. And I always talk about, I, I write a lot in hotel lobbies. I love hotel lobbies. I can, of course I can remember writing it, but I think it was such um, an experience of passion. It felt like such a need for me to write about this. And I had been obviously researching quite a lot before and during um, that the words just came. I just felt that it was a conversation that really needed to be had. And I'm not sure if I told this story on, on the podcast you heard, but I often tell the story of when I um, told my mum that my book was going to be published and, and she said, well, that's, you know, that's fantastic news and whatever. Um, but darling, who wants to read a book about empathy? And, um, you know, she was right in that because no one was talking about it, I had this, this sixth sense, this intuition, this desire to change that. Um, and I said to her and I said to everyone I met at the time, but we need to. And of course, I had no idea that COVID was on its way, but I did have this belief that in 2020, something would change. I just knew it. I just knew that this year, that things couldn't, they can't carry on and that someone has to lead this conversation. And, and there are other people as well, of course, um, you know, Ali being one of them talking about empathy and, and understanding and humanity. So I'm by no means, you know, on my own on that journey. Um, but I think that's what led me to do it. I think it was part this desire to do something. You know, I think we talk a lot about how the world should be and what change we would like to see. But if we don't partake in that, then you're kind of a spectator in your own world. And I, I didn't want to be a spectator. Yeah, no, for sure. And I love the way you said that the book wrote you, not the other way around. And given all your experiences that came together, it sounds like it's, yes, there was research, but I think there was a lot of experiences that you probably went through that have come into the book which show why you've experienced why empathy is so important and why you felt that in 2020 COVID or without that this is the time that something has to give we didn't expect it to give this much but you know it <laughs> it is what it is and I wanted to also talk about just get, let everyone know talk about talk to us about the secrets of the gap your podcast I actually heard uh, one of your uh, one of the episodes with Carl Brantz Brantz yeah which yeah he's he's amazing and i thought it was a really really interesting episode but to people who don't know tell us what that's all about yeah um so secrets of the gap is as you said it's my podcast um it's a conversation piece actually i'm in the process of changing the format a little bit for january um but fundamentally it's the audio version of this journey for me i'm i'm having conversations with people all around the world leaders teachers thinkers just people um, about empathy and about how that's impacted their journeys, what it is, what is it meant to them when you don't have empathy, what's the downside, what happens um, and just having those conversations. And, that, and as I said, I've, I've got some big changes ahead, which is really exciting um, for 2021. But 
I think it's been a great platform for me, particularly in COVID, to meet people and have these conversations and talk to people I never would have otherwise met about the role of, of empathy and what it is. And, and people have, you know, varying understandings and, and uh, sort of responses to it from people that have talked there about sort of B Corps and conscious capitalism and, you know, what is business with a conscience and purpose um, to youth and, you know, what's going on with youth? Why do they need more empathy? Is there an empathy deficit, you know, neutrally across society? Um, Cal Bruns and I talk a lot about creativity, marketing, making change. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's been a really fun project. I mean, like you, I think just the act of having conversations with who were once strangers and by the end are not is a, is a phenomenal act of humanity in itself, I think. Yeah, uh, I, that, I resonate with that so much. Like, start, like you said, having been able to have these kind of conversations about a topic that you're so passionate about and getting people's different perspectives and even meeting new people. Like for example, today, this is the first time me and you meet and I've had this kind of experience so many times already in this past, you know, in this past year. And it's been, it's just been amazing. I'm curious from the, so from all the people that you've spoken to so far, what is one thing that you've learned now about empathy given the conversations you've had that you didn't know before you did the podcast? I'm curious. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer with your question actually because you just used the word curious and what I didn't think about until you know these conversations and I was sort of mounting energy in this area was how important curiosity is as a facet and in fact that's what I'm gonna write my second book about um, is around curiosity as the path to empathy it's not that I didn't know it. It's just, I didn't ever coin it. I didn't ever really focus on it. And of course I've been in the creative industries my entire career. Curiosity is what fuels our business, right? It's what fuels our entire industry. Um, but the sort of, as I said, the coining in my head of that insight, that curiosity drives understanding, that inquiry leads to empathy, um, was something that came to me through those conversations and through just hearing other people's perspectives on things. And I think there's a big lesson, there's a big theme in there for us all. Um, because, you know, often if you go back to like the 40s and 50s, parents would tell their children, not, don't ask questions, it's rude. You know, don't inquire into other people's lives. Don't be curious, it's rude, it's not polite. It's certainly from a British point of view back in those days. Um, but I think as the world gets smaller, we have to be curious, right? We're all together in this. And so, yeah, I definitely would say curiosity is something that has really become a passion point for me and something that I hadn't really focused on when I wrote the first book. That's really interesting that curiosity, it makes a lot, hearing your explanation, it makes a lot of sense about, you know, the desire to be curious, the willingness to be, to inquire and try to un understand someone else's perspective. So is, so is curiosity, do you believe that that's the first, like that's the first step in learning how to become an empathetic person, the ability to be curious? Like if you look at your, cause it's interesting that you said your second book is gonna be about curiosity. So that, so would, it, would you look at that as the sequel to the first or a prequel? Oh, good question. Um, no, I think it's the sequel. I, th I, think, okay. I think the first step is conviction. So if we're gonna do a little, you know, a PowerPoint slide that would fit in a nice boardroom. We'll have two C's, we'll have conviction and then curiosity. Because I think you do have to have that awareness and that conviction first, as we've said, in order for your brain to activate empathy, you have to want it to, you have to be interested in that. You have to be convinced that empathy is of skill that you want to use, you know, in order to give those instructions to your brain. Um, but then 
in order to improve and enhance that empathy in order to make that something that's habitual and is valuable and is adding value to you then I think that's where you know the curiosity comes in so maybe I'm making an equation up on your show but I think it would be there we go. Um, <laughs> I think it would be uh, conviction and then it would be around being convinced so the real belief in it then the real evidence around it and then the sort of practice of that, which would be, you know, this sort of freak. But I, uh, I think, like you said, conviction and curiosity, I think those are, I think that would, that would be what you need to start moving into that direction. Like if we were going to, like you said, come up with an equation for it, those are the two crucial things before you even get into, you know, the listening and everything. You have to first believe in it yourself and then be generally curious to want to learn it with other people. Do you think, I was to, as you explained that, I was trying to think of this. Do you think empathy is just about empathizing with other people or do you think empathy also applies to ourselves? Because we all have that voice inside of our head, the voice that, you know, that negative voice or that voice that gives us doubts and so on. So can it be done on a personal level or is it just empathy specifically with other people? No, for sure. I talk quite a bit about self-empathy, um, which is absolutely what you describe, which is the ability to understand ourselves and be connected with ourselves. And I think it, it kind of it's quite nicely explained when you think of when you're on an aeroplane, you know, back in the day prior to COVID on the ground. Um, but when we used to be on aeroplanes and they would do the safety checks and they say that thing around, you know, when the, if the oxygen mask fall down, put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others. I like to sort of use that as an analogy for self-empathy, which is that if you are going to empathize with others, then you need to at least understand yourself, right? In order to be a great leader or a great sister, friend, brother, whatever, someone that connects and understands others, you have to be connected to yourself. You have to know, you know, what makes you tick, what helps you, what makes you healthy, what inspires you and, and leads you to thrive. Um, so absolutely, self-empathy is, is a big discussion point, I think, and certainly taps into what you were saying earlier about being passionate yourself about, you know, wellness and health and, and how we lead those conversations about, yeah, being well, being good, being healthy, being kind. Uh, that all starts with you, for sure. Yeah. And I think you, that analogy explains it and says it perfectly because when you, you know, take care of yourself first and like, I guess, be empathetic with yourself first, understand yourself, connect with yourself. And that is the, that's how you have to first take care of what's, you know, on the inside and yourself before you can start, you know, projecting it to other people and to the outside world. I think that analogy explains it beautifully. Uh, Mimi, I want to be conscious of our time. So I just have uh, two more questions for you. And these are questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So looking back over your career of 14 years in the advertising space and now as being an, uh, an advocate for empathy and so on, what would you say is either your proudest moment or what are you most proud of? Oh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm most proud of 2020. I'm going okay. to give you a whole year as the answer. Awesome. Um, because I think whilst terrible things happened this year you know and we can't take away from how horrendous the world has been you know how, how horrendous it has been for the world to to try and fight and recover uh from what COVID-19 has done for me personally it has also I talk about the the worst best moment uh because it has been a worst moment but it has been the best of those worst moments in that I did finish my book I finished my book in lockdown all alone in the Middle East as a single mum 
I launched a podcast. I launched a breakfast show that's had just around 90,000 views and I was in my bedroom for most of it. Um, so um, this year for me has been an incredibly proud year and it's only really recently, really recently, like last week at Jitex probably that I have, you know, talk about self-empathy, that I have really understood and come to terms with that so i think if we'd spoken i think we were first scheduled to speak about probably three weeks ago now i wouldn't have given this answer you know everything happens for a reason so um because i i want to tell you this really quick story i know we're running out of time but last week um so you know for all the listeners tuning in we're sitting today talking in the uae in dubai and last week in dubai we had jitex big technology conference and as part of that conference we had a delegation from israel which is a big change um within the middle east because israel and the uae haven't been politically friendly for a very long time what that meant was there was a whole week of content um, and celebrations peace celebrations and i was very lucky to be invited to an event one evening where the chairman of the foreign exchange from Israel stood up. Uh, we were in the Dubai Opera House and spoke about, he didn't use the word empathy, but he spoke about mutual understanding. He spoke about the need to be understood as two nations and to work together. And I had just this most amazing moment when I sat there in the Opera House with shakes and phenomenally important people thinking, I did this as in I got myself to this seat tonight sitting in the Opera House uh, watching Andrew Bocelli who had been flown in on a private jet live. Um, you know, it was a really poignant moment for me that I could have not done that. You know, I could have had a very different year. And I think um, that's why I'm proud. I'm proud that I've managed to change my life in a way and it, like I would say, it wasn't easy. In fact, it never is. No day is easy, right? <laughs> it's not like a dream that miraculously appears. It's been really tough. And as I said, I'm a single mum. I'm here all alone. It's tough. But um, yeah, it's the year has ended in a place where I feel like I have really renewed energy to go into 2021. So that was a long answer to your question, but it's a nice story. Nah, it's uh, the long. Typically, the longer answers are the better ones. So thank you for sh and thank you for sharing that story and. It's really amazing and congratulations for you to have that moment. You know, that is that, cause that it's that like click when you just like we're saying, when you're sitting down and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'd like I got myself here. I put in the work. It was like I said, it's never easy. <laughs> and especially given this, what a hectic year this has been for you to come out to feel this way at the end of it and to look back and of everything you accomplished is an amazing feeling because I feel the same way. It's like I said, it's been my best worst year. I think that's a, a very good way to talk about it. So I definitely resonate with that and congratulations. And for my last question, Mimi, this is why I ask all my guests is what is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? I would like people to take home that we are more alike than we are different. I think it's the most important message out there today, which is that regardless of language, context, culture, history, any of those things, as human beings, we are better together. We do better together and we are more alike than we are different. At the end of the day, we are just human beings on this planet sharing a future and we can control that. So yeah, that would be my message. We're more alike than we are different and we're better together and we should all connect far more if we want to see a better tomorrow. I think that's a beautiful way uh, to end the podcast and an amazing message that we are a lot more similar than, you know, we tend to think sometimes and like you said 
we are better together. We got here being together. So if we want to get to where we're trying to go next, that's the way forward. So I totally agree. Um, Mimi, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved this conversation and getting your perspective on empathy and congratulations of what you've accomplished this year. And just thanks so much. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been, as you said, it's been an absolute pleasure and well done you too. Fantastic year as well. So um, both of us can go home happy this evening. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, guys, to everyone listening. Thanks as always. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.